Welcome to the podcast series for the Journal of Neurophysiology. I'm Bill Yates, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal, and today we will be discussing the article, Distinct Types of Neural Reorganization During Long-Term Learning. This article was chosen for April's issue of APS Select, a collection of the very best original research published by the American Physiological Society. Before we begin, let's meet our guests. Hi, my name is Xiao Zhou. I'm a PhD student in the Department of Biomedical Engineering at Carnegie Mellon. I'm currently on leave as a researcher at a quantitative investment firm. So I specialize in designing brain-computer interfaces to study the mechanism of neural learning. I was the project lead and the first author of this paper. And I'm Steve Chase. I am an associate professor at Carnegie Mellon University, jointly appointed in the Carnegie Mellon Neuroscience Institute and the Department of Biomedical Engineering. And I'm the PI of this project and had the privilege of supervising the work. Could you give us a brief background for research on neural mechanisms of skill acquisition? So imagine swinging a hammer. Most of us can pick up a hammer and with a certain amount of fumbling, use it to nail two pieces of wood together. If we have a lot of wood to nail, we might notice that over an hour or so, we get a bit better at reducing errors, hitting the nail into the wood instead of bending it. However, it takes days and days of practice to get to the point where we can swing the hammer with precision, speed, and accuracy. So this is the essence of skill learning. It takes a long time, and there's no way to really short-circuit this process. So someone can coach you and tell you how to hold the hammer, to look at the top of the nail where you want hammers to hit, instead of watching the head of the hammer through the whole swing. But until you actually spend the hours of practice you won't be able to improve your performance and swing the hammer fluidly with speed and precision. So this increase in speed and precision is fundamental to skill learning. When we talk about performing a task like swinging a hammer or a golf club, etc., you can think about the speed accuracy trade-off. If we move slowly, we can accurately hit the nail or the golf ball. However, when we try to put more power into the swing and move faster, our accuracy degrades. So this entire process of skill learning shifts this speed accuracy trade-off to a larger value so that we can increase speed without sacrificing accuracy. Yeah, so uh, this kind of skill learning is a fundamental brain process and it's important in really every facet of motor control. But getting at the neural mechanisms that enable this kind of skill improvement has really proven challenging for two reasons. First, because skill learning takes place over such a long period of time, in order to get at the neural mechanisms behind it, you need a way to record from the same set of neurons over the days to weeks that it takes for skill to develop. And second, you have to record from the right neurons. And in the majority of tasks, you engage hundreds of millions of neurons to perform them. And with current recording technologies, we really can only record from a tiny fraction of the neurons that are used to perform the task. And most of the time, when we're recording from a given neuron, we don't actually know how it's causally engaged in the movement itself. And so if we don't know how that neuron is causally engaged in the movement, then if we see changes in the neural activity that occur during skill learning, we don't know how that impacts behavior or how it might contribute to an improvement in behavior. And that's why we turn to the brain-computer interface to solve this particular task. How did you use a brain-computer interface to investigate this problem? So a brain-computer interface, or a BCI, it creates a mapping between the neural activity and the movement of a device such as a cursor on a computer screen. 
So with this device, we can determine how every neuron we record pushes the cursor. This is useful for two reasons. First, because we know how every neuron causally relates to movements. If we see a change in neural activity during learning, it is possible for us to interpret precisely how that change maps to improvement in behavior. Second, because only the neurons that can affect the behavior are the ones that we record. So if there's any behavior improvement during learning, we are guaranteed to see a neural correlate of it. So we use the BCI to study skill learning in the following way. So we first trained monkeys to operate a BCI in which neural activity controlled the velocity of the cursor, such that every neuron pushed the cursor in a particular direction, with the size of a push being proportional to the neuron's firing rate. In our standard or intuitive mapping, each neuron pushed the cursor in a direction and naturally codes for movement. So the monkeys were each well-trained on this BCI mapping and use it to perform a standard center outreaching task. We then selected a dozen neurons whose waveforms were stable enough that we felt confident that we could track their activity over several weeks. So using just these neurons, we calibrate our intuitive mapping and then allow the monkeys to use it for a few hundred to a few thousand trials to establish a baseline performance. We then introduce a new perturbed mapping for the monkeys to learn and allow them to practice with it for several weeks. So we could investigate the neural reorganization that occurs over the long time scales associated with skill learning. And we designed the perturbed mapping by picking half the neurons at random and rotating the direction that they push the cursor clockwise by 75 degrees. So the key details about this perturbation is that globally, it looks like a combination of a classic visual motor rotation in that for the same neural activity, the cursor moves a bit slower and at an angle to the intended direction. However, it's different from this classic perturbation in that only half the neurons are actually creating the errors. So this kind of mapping allows us to distinguish whether the learned response is a general reorganization of all neurons or whether the response is specific to the subset of neurons that we perturbed. What were your findings? So we found primarily two distinct types of neural reorganization over the course of learning that had vastly different time scales. The first response was a global reorganization in the activity of all recording neurons that acted to reduce angular movement errors. So this response was very fast, completing in the middle of the training on the first day. The second response was a much more gradual change. Over a period of one to two weeks, we noticed that the tuning curves of these neurons we perturbed underwent larger changes than the neurons that we did not perturb. So these changes accumulated over time such that after about two weeks, the change in the perturbed neurons was about twice that in the unperturbed neurons. This indicates that monkeys were essentially solving this so-called credit assignment problem and using the global cursor movement errors to selectively identify and change the neurons that we perturb. So the overall effect of this second response was to increase the cursor speed without sacrificing error, which is a signature of skill learning. Why do these findings have important implications for motor learning? Classic motor control studies tend to focus on either short-term learning, like visual motor adaptation, 
or long-term learning like that, which is associated with skill acquisition. And I would argue that many of the learning tasks that we face naturally are really a combination of these two processes. And so if you take our original example with the hammer, when we pick up that hammer and start using it, our arms don't swing in the expected way, and that creates errors in our arm trajectory. And we quickly adapt to these errors so that we can actually hit the nail. But then it's only over a period of very, very many hours that we develop the skill to use the hammer efficiently and swing it very fast and accurate. And I would say that our study is one of the first to track individual neurons throughout the learning of a task that entails both of these types of processes. And we've discovered that each of these processes has a distinct neural signature. So the short timescale learning is this global reorganization of the activity of all neurons in a coordinated fashion. And then the skill learning is associated with this activity changes that are specifically drawn to particular neurons in order to improve the efficiency of the task. And so the implications is that now we can start to think about what are the subcortical mechanisms that might be driving these procedures and really try and pull apart how these phenomena are evolving. What are the next steps of your work? So I would say that our research is heading in a few different directions. So in one thrust, we're really interested in using this BCI skill learning paradigm to investigate training approaches that might actually speed up learning. And so if we can get a better feel for the particular error or motivational signals that drive these particular changes in neural activity, then we might be able to develop training approaches that can accelerate learning. And in a second study, we're looking into motor memories. And so another key facet of motor learning is that the second time you encounter a task, you can pick up the knowledge much faster than the first time you encounter that new task. And this procedure is known as savings. And it's one of the things that allows us to get good at multiple tasks. And one of the things that we're interested in doing is investigating how that might occur and whether there's an actual memory trace of a learned experience in neural activity when you return to the original task and how that memory trace might actually speed up learning the second time you encounter it. The last thing I'd like to do is just acknowledge, first off, the other people involved in this work who couldn't be with us today. That would be uh, Sana Ravikumar, who's currently a PhD student at the University of Pennsylvania, as well as Rex Tien, who's a PhD student at the University of Pittsburgh. And of course, I'd like to acknowledge our funding sources. And the primary funding for this came from an NSF career award to my lab, but additional funding has come from an NSF NCS Brain Initiative grant, as well as an NIH R01 through NINDS. I'd like to thank our guests for participating in today's discussion of the article, Distinct Types of Neural Reorganization During Long-Term Learning, part of the podcast series for the Journal of Neurophysiology. Thank you.